The greatest sermon that was ever preached was preached in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And so we're, we're going through that just verse by verse and studying that on Wednesday night. So we encourage you to come and be a part of Wednesday night church. Amen. And by the way, I just want to encourage all of our um, widows and singles to sign up for the dinner. That is Tuesday at noon. Um, it's going to be good. Fettuccine Alfredo and spaghetti and salad and green beans and dessert so you won't want to miss that okay so come and be a part of that all right first corinthians chapter 11 if you're there say amen all right first corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 23 verse number 23 For I received from the Lord, Paul the Apostle writing here to the church at Corinth, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner... He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he come. Until he comes. Therefore... Whosoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. Notice this. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself not discerning the Lord's body. And for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord. I don't know. You know, I'm going to stop here for a moment. I don't know how many would say today, well, I I appreciate God's chastening, but I do because it's His chastening, His discipline that brings us back in line when we're out of line. And He said, "When we are ju- when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, and this is the reason He chastens us that we may not be condemned with the world." Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, Let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. That's not talking about widows and singles dinners, by the way, or fellowship dinners. Amen. And the rest I will set in order when I come. I want to talk to you this morning for a little bit before we take communion on proper table manners for the Lord's Supper. Proper table manners for the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank you today for the blessings of the Lord and for the Spirit of God that we have already uh, sensed and felt here in this service for your presence that is here. And we ask you today 
that you would help me to preach your word. I ask you today for your anointing, that you would bring uh, the thoughts to my mind and put the words in my mouth that you would have me to say. Make it easy, Lord, to minister today. And the Holy Spirit is the preacher who does always make it easy to minister. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. I think we all are aware of the fact that there are certain rules of etiquette for eating. That are called table manners. Anybody, anybody here that was taught table manners when you were growing up? How many taught your kids proper table manners when you when they were growing up? Well, there is certain etiquette for eating at the table, and uh, you know some of those rules are you know always wash up before you come to the table. Make sure your hands are washed. And my mom used to always say that did you Ricky did you wash your hands before you came to eat but always wash up uh, don't put your elbows on the table I've never really understood that when I still do it when I eat corn on the cob amen especially but you know don't put your elbows on the table take your napkin and put it in your lap you're supposed to take your napkin and put it in your lap you're supposed to wait till everyone is seated around the table before you dig in and start eating it's just not not good manners to go ahead and fill your plate and start eating when everyone hasn't come around the table. And you never are supposed to reach over somebody to get something. You're always supposed to ask them to pass it. If you need the salt, and if you were here Wednesday night, you'd know a little bit about salt. But if you need the salt and the, or the pepper or whatever, or you would like to have some of those mashed potatoes, you just don't reach across the table in front of someone and grab it. That's just not not uh, proper etiquette or proper manners. You definitely are not to talk with your mouth full, and 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 especially. And I got in trouble for this as a as a boy. You're not to make rude noises or belch or anything like that. Now I know in some cultures it's 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 proper to do that, but uh, here in America it's not proper to do that. So uh, those are just a few rules that you you know so, some rules of etiquette and some proper table manners that we've all learned as we were growing up. But when it comes to the Lord's table, there are also some rules as well. There are some proper manners or some proper etiquette that we are to display when we partake of the Lord's Supper. Because there is a right way and there is a wrong way to take communion. And we want to make sure that when we take communion and we come to the Lord's table, that we do it in the right way. And so here in this passage of Scripture, Scripture, and uh, we always read this passage of Scripture before we take communion, but I just wanted to preach from it a little bit this morning because here Paul is talking about what we are to do and the proper way to come to the Lord's table. And so Paul tells us here that we are, when we come to take communion, we are to remember the Lord Jesus Christ. So here is an important thing about communion, and that is that we are to look back at what Jesus did for us. This meaningful ordinance of the church was established by the Lord Jesus the night that he was betrayed and was arrested. And this is 
one of the two ordinances that the Lord has given to the church, communion and water baptism. And the Lord, he established this the very night that he was betrayed and and arrested. And when you read it in the Gospels, you see that Jesus was celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And when they got together on this particular night and they had celebrated the Passover every year, uh, as long as they had been together in ministry, but on this particular night, it would be their final Passover together. And all that the Passover foreshadowed was going to now be fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus was going to change the Jewish Passover to what we now know as the Lord's Supper. We're well familiar with the institution of the Passover in the book of Exodus because it was at the it was the Passover that that was established there in Egypt when uh, the children of Israel were there and they had been in 400 over 400 years of slavery and bondage to the Egyptians but at that very first Passover God had you know God had sent Moses and you know the story he had sent Moses to deliver the people of Israel from the bondage of Egypt and through a series of miracles you know and through a series of events and and times that Moses went before Pharaoh and said let my people go God says let my people go and one judgment after another would come but Pharaoh would continue to harden his heart and would not let the people go but God said there's going to be one more judgment and after this one then he will let the people go and at that Passover night in Egypt they were to take the instructions God gave where they were to take a lamb every household was to take an unblemished lamb they were to put it up for four days and they were to watch it for four days and examine it very carefully to make sure that there wasn't a blemish on it in any way then they were to kill that Passover lamb at twilight and they were to take the lamb's blood that was that was uh, drained from that lamb and they were to apply the blood to the top and to the side posts of their door house of their doors in their houses the blood was to be applied across the top and down the sides and uh, the bible says that they would then go in their instructions were then to go in close the door and the family to stay in the house under the blood and there they were to eat the lamb roasted the 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 lamb was to be eaten with bitter herbs and with unleavened bread and they were to eat it all because the death angel would pass through Egypt at midnight and all of the firstborn every firstborn son in every house was going to die that night the oldest son in every house from the king from Pharaoh on the throne down to the to the poorest of the slaves to those who were even in prison and even every animal the firstborn would die in every house except those where the blood of that lamb had been applied and after 400 years of slavery because of the blood being applied to their doorposts and you you know God said to them God said I'm passing through the land of Egypt tonight and every firstborn uh, will die but when I see the blood and there's where the Passover came he said when I see the blood I will pass over you 
you. Oh, hallelujah. And you will not be touched by that plague. The blood that was the token upon their house, hallelujah, and they were covered and they were protected and they were delivered from 400 years of bondage and freed by the blood of that slain lamb. This was a picture of what the, the Lord was going to do, of what Jesus was going to do. Because Jesus was now going to become that Passover lamb. John had saw him some three years earlier and pointed him out to his disciples and said, there he is. Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Paul writing about him in 1 Corinthians 5 and 7 said that Christ, our Passover, our lamb was sacrificed to us. So the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be that Passover lamb. The Passover after Jesus goes to the cross, the Passover would no longer be celebrated in the same way because Jesus is now introducing something that is new that is going to take place, which is the Lord's Supper, something that is going to replace the Passover meal, which is the Lord's Supper or communion. And this would be the fulfillment of all that that Passover pointed to. When they had had prepared and they had celebrated and observed the Passover all down through the centuries, it was always pointing ahead to what Jesus, the Lamb of God, was going to do. And on this final evening, sitting there with his disciples, they came into the room, they greeted each other, and they all reclined around the table. And as they sat there at the table, the Lord Jesus said to them the very words that Paul records here in verse 24 of our text. Jesus took bread, the Bible says, and when Jesus had given thanks, he broke that bread and he said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So this is what we do when we take communion. We do it in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's very interesting too that Paul even, get, you know, he even um, comes down to the very details here of how that Jesus, when he broke the bread, it said that, the, that he gave thanks. On the night, listen to this, on the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he gave thanks. He was giving thanks in the face of a time when he was facing terrible suffering and anguish and all that was about to happen to him. He gave thanks. I mean, knowing that his disciples were going to desert him and forsake him. He knew that Peter was going to betray him. He knew that Judas was going to, to betray him and, and Peter was going to deny him. But yet, in the face of all of that, Jesus was was able to give thanks. I think that's a lesson for all of us today. Amen. But how in the world could Jesus give thanks at a time like that? He gave thanks and was able to give thanks on the night before his arrest and crucifixion because he had a 
goal and he had a purpose. And do you know what that goal was and that purpose was? That goal, he could give thanks because even because even when he knew what was getting ready to happen, because the goal that he had, he knew was for you and for me. He was getting ready, what he was getting ready to do was not for himself, but it was for us. It was for us. It was for that he would redeem us. You know, the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, speaking of Christ and the cross, he said, for the joy, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, this is what kept Jesus going, ladies and gentlemen, through his betrayal, through the false accusations, through the time that they mocked him and ridiculed him, through the whipping that he took at that, at that whipping post, the crown of thorns that was placed on his head, through that time of having his beard pulled out of his face by the handfuls, what kept him going when he climbed Mount Calvary with that cross and had his feet and his hands nailed to that old rugged cross, what kept him going, ladies and gentlemen, through all that was you and me because he did what he did for us. And it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? That's kind of a, that's a statement that is hard for us to comprehend, hard for us to understand. Why was Jesus joyful when he was facing the cross? And the scripture says that he was. He was joyful as he faced the cross because it was a joy that he had of knowing that you and I could be here and sit here in this service today with our sins forgiven, washed in the blood of the Lamb, knowing that we're right with God, that there's no more bondage in our life of sin. Amen. And we're freed from sin, freed from condemnation, freed from the curse of the law, knowing that he would have a church that would be saved and cleansed and redeemed and have their names written in heaven. That was the joy that was set before him. That was enabling him to endure the cross. Amen. He knew that when he died on Calvary, the sin debt would be paid and that veil of the temple would be rent from top to bottom, which would give you and me total 100%, 24-7 access into the very presence of Almighty God. I don't know if that means anything to anybody or not, but in that old covenant, only that high priest could go in that holy place where the Shekinah glory of God was, and only on the Day of Atonement, only once a year. But thank God when that veil was ripped from top to bottom, when Jesus said, it is finished, all the glory of God moved out of that inner sanctuary and moved into this temple right here. And now every one of you that are saved have the Spirit of God living on the inside of them because of Jesus and what he did at Calvary. For the joy that was set before him, he endured.
ignored the cross and despised the shame. Amen? That was the joy that was set before him. That's why he could give thanks right before he's arrested and as he introduced the Lord's Supper. Amen? You know, Jesus told a story of a shepherd that had a hundred sheep, and one of those sheep went astray. What did that shepherd do? What did that shepherd do? He said, well, I sure hate it that I lost that one. No, <laughs> but it said that that shepherd left the 99 to go looking for that one sheep that was astray. And he went and he searched until he found that lost sheep. And Jesus said that he took that sheep and put it on his shoulders, and he came back rejoicing. And he said, there was joy and there was rejoicing in finding that lost sheep. See, let me tell you something today. That is why Jesus could give thanks the night, the night he was betrayed for the joy of knowing that there were lost sheep, you and me, that were going to come back into the fold that he was going to save and bring us back to him. Isaiah prophesied of it and said, all we like sheep have gone astray but praise God we've returned we've returned to the shepherd and the bishop of our soul hallelujah that's something to shout about do you know there's joy and shouting and rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents more than over 99 that need no repentance amen why don't you give the Lord a praise today Oh, hallelujah, that's why, that's why Jesus could give thanks. And it said that he gave thanks and he took the bread and he broke the bread. Jesus did the breaking of the bread. Notice he did the breaking of the bread himself. And this fulfilled his own prophetic word of John 10, 18, when Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. But I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. I preached a couple of weeks ago how that, uh, you know, Satan tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross and tried on many occasions to kill him before he could get to Calvary. But he was unsuccessful because Jesus said, I have that promise from the Father that I will lay my life down of my own accord. It was on that cross right before he died. The last prayer that Jesus prayed on the cross was he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. See, Jesus was always in complete control. Nobody took his life, but he laid it down of, of his own accord. He could have called. You know, they mocked him while he was on the cross. They said, oh, come on, if you're the son of God, come on down off of there. Prove. We'll believe you if you come off the cross. And do you know what? At any point in time, he had told Peter, you know, in the, back in the garden, he said, don't you know that I can pray the Father right now if I want to? And he'd send 12 legions of angels to deliver me, but then how could the Scriptures be fulfilled? He could have come down off of that cross. He could have called 12 legions of angels, but if he had done that, there would have been no redemption. 
redemption. And you and I would not have the future that we have today. We would all be eternally lost. But thank God he broke the bread. Thank God he gave his life so that we can have life and have life more abundantly. I'm glad today that I know the Savior. I know the Master. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. He said, take this bread and eat it. He broke the bread. He gave himself as the sacrifice for our sin. And then when he broke the bread, he said there, and Paul records it in verse 24, he says, um, he says, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. This is my body. Now, I just want to mention here that this, this, this verse is not teaching a doctrine known as transubstantiation. And I don't know if, how many are familiar with that, but it's, a, it's, it's taught in the Roman Catholic Church that the communion elements uh, literally become the actual flesh and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is not a right. That's not right. That's not true. Are you, are you hearing me? Jesus is not here saying that, his, that the bread, the wafer, is going to literally become his flesh. It's not mystical mystically going to literally that juice is not mystically going to become literally become his actual blood but what Jesus is doing here is giving a metaphor and he's painting a picture and he did that all through his ministry Jesus said I am the bread of life remember that he said I am the bread of life another place he said I am the true vine and then in another place he said I am the door well that door right there is not Jesus Amen? Jesus is not a house plant. Jesus is not a loaf of bread that you can get, you know. He said, I'm the bread of life. But he was using a metaphor. And he was referring to giving pictures of his nature and his character. He wasn't referring to the fact that he was literal bread or he was literally a vine or literally a door. We preached on Wednesday night. Jesus said, you, speaking of you and I, you are the salt of the earth. You're not, you're not a shaker full of salt. But he was using a metaphor to describe, just to describe your character and your influence. So when he said, take and eat, this is my body, he was saying that this bread and this juice are just, are symbols of the broken body and of the shed blood that he was going to give for us. It is not his literal body, it is not his literal blood. And let me say this, let me say this this morning, because I don't know, you know, what some of y'all's backgrounds might have been. I think most of you I do know. But let me say this, that taking the Lord's Supper does not save you. Your salvation is not in this church. Your salvation is not in any other church. Your salvation is not in communion elements. Your salvation is not in water baptism. Come on, somebody. Your salvation is through 
through your faith in Jesus Christ and what these elements represent, your faith in what he did on that cross. Amen. That's when the blood is applied. The blood is not applied by drinking some juice. The blood is not applied to your life by eating a wafer. But the blood is applied to your life when you place your faith in him and what he did. Hallelujah. And and receive that salvation. Then the blood of Jesus is applied to your life. Can somebody say amen today? So we're not saved by taking communion. Amen. We're not saved by that. But 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 here's here's what the the apostle is saying. Here's what Jesus said that the proper table manners for taking this supper is first of all look back and remember what Jesus did and understand what this supper represents. It represents the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus and what he did upon that cross. So then Paul says, are we all all on the same page? Are you with me? But then the apostle Paul says that we are not to come to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. But that we are to examine ourselves. Is that what he said? So proper table manners for partaking the Lord's Supper is to have a proper self-examination. An examination of ourselves. In verse 27, he said, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of our Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat. Now, I want you to notice that. Let a man examine himself, or woman, examine themselves, and so let them eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now, when we, when we read these verses, and a lot of people have been confused about this over the years, but he, he's, he's not saying, and this does not mean... This does not mean, everybody say that with me, this does not mean that if you haven't been perfect all week, you can't take communion. And I've heard people say that, well, I, I, I messed up this week, so I'm not taking communion. Or I had an argument with my wife, so I'm not taking communion. That would put a lot of us out. But that's not what he's saying, amen? He's not saying if you've slipped up or if you've sinned this week or if you've lost your temper. Maybe you didn't read your Bible every day. Maybe you didn't pray every day. And if you didn't, then you're not worthy to take the Lord's Supper. That is not N-O-T. That is not what he is saying. That's not what he's talking about. Because there's none of us had a perfect week. Anybody want to say amen to that? Ain't none of us had a perfect week. Ain't none of us going from Sunday to Sunday without making some mistake or slipping up somewhere. Thank God for his mercy and his grace. Amen. So, so, so to say, if Paul was saying, well, if you, you know, if you hadn't been perfect all week, you could come, you can't take communion. That'd be like going to the doctor. You know, you got something wrong with you, and you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, well, you go get well, and then you come back and see me. Well, that'd be kind of stupid, wouldn't it? 
And there's some doctors that's kind of that way. But, but that'd be like, that'd be like a, a poor person, a, a hungry person, someone that hasn't eaten coming to you and, and starving to death. And you say, well, you go put some weight on. You go gain some weight, and then you come back, and I'll give you some food. So that doesn't make sense. And so Jesus here and the, and the Apostle Paul is not saying that if you have messed up this week, you can't take communion. I mean, let me tell you something today. My worthiness today, whether I'm worthy or not, is not based on what I've done, but my worthiness is based on what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for me, not what I've done for Him. And I, I, I want to do all that I can for Him. And if you're truly saved, you want to do right and do all you can for Him. But all of us, all of us fall woefully short of the glory of God and all that we should be for the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen from all the perfect people? We all mess up. And my faith, I'm accepted in the beloved, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6. He said that God has made us accepted in Christ, in the beloved. And that's through our faith in Him and what He did for us at Calvary. But there was, here. what's Paul talking about? There was a big problem in the Corinthian church. And if you study the book of Corinthians, they were a church that was a mess. They had problems. There was strife. There was divisions. There was, there was, there was confusion going on in the church. And the book of 1 Corinthians Paul is trying to correct things that were wrong, and he's trying to make things right. But there was a great big problem in the Corinthian church because one of the things in their culture that they did at that time was they held what was called love feasts. We talked a little bit about that when we were studying the book of Jude. But the church would come together, and they would bring food, and they would have fellowship, kind of like a potluck, you know. We have those. That's great. That's wonderful. And they would, they would have a big time of fellowship and eat a big meal together and enjoy that time together. But then at the end of the love feast, they would all partake of the Lord's Supper. They would take communion. But there was a problem that developed there in the church because the love feast turned into a big party. Instead of just a fellowship meal, it turned into a hootenanny. Amen. It turned into a wild party. I mean, they were those who were bringing alcohol into that. They were drinking during that. They were getting drunk. They were not sharing. There were some that were more uh, well-to-do than others, and they were bringing big meals and good portions of food, and they refused to share the food with the poor members who had nothing. And they were they were strife. There was contention. They were mistreating one another. And then the time came for communion, and that was a mess. Everything was totally out of order. They were coming to the Lord's table now with strife in their heart for each other. It was total chaos. They were even coming to the communion table drunk. They had been partying at this love feast, and now they're taking communion in a drunken state. And this is what Paul is addressing. You're taking communion in an unworthy 
unworthy manner and God is going to judge you and you need to examine yourself and get yourself straightened out. Is anybody following what I'm saying? That's what he was, that was the context of what Paul was teaching. But, but, but we don't do that today. Ain't nobody come in here drunk. If you did, you know, we, we could give an altar call. You can get saved and God will ser- sober you up. But I don't believe that, that we're facing that same dilemma as they were. But we as well can also partake of communion in an unworthy manner. Are y'all listening? Are you with me? Well, how does that happen, Pastor? How can, we, how, how can I make sure that I'm not taking communion unworthily? Well, one of the ways that we can partake of communion unworthily is to do it just as a ritual. Just to go through the motions, making it a meaningless tradition. And where we're not properly, and here's what Paul addressed here, where we're not properly properly discerning the Lord's body. We're not properly discerning the power of the blood and what Jesus did. That's why he said, remember, do this in remembrance of me. So we're we're practicing, we're practicing, we're just going through something. We're, we're eating a wafer and drinking some juice and let's hurry. Hurry up and get out. Come on, somebody. Kind of like, you know, it's getting close to 12 o'clock. Are you going to have this thing or not so I can hurry up and get out? That is taking unworthily. Somebody needs to say, man, or oh, me. But it is. This is not something that is to be rushed through. That's why I preach on it uh, uh, occasionally to let us know. It's not something that needs to be or should be rushed through. But it's something that we need to make sure that we're doing it in our heart. And we know what it's all about. Amen. And it's not just a ritual. And it's not just a tradition. And it's not just something that we do to say that we've done it. But it's where we are properly and rightly discerning the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and realizing what he did for us at Calvary. Can I tell you something today, Abundant Life? There is power in the blood of Jesus to set you free, to make you well, to heal your body, to save your soul. There's power in the finished work of Calvary. And what we are to do when we partake of the Lord's Supper is place our proper faith in that finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's one way that people partake unworthily. We need to make sure we know what we're doing and we're doing it in remembrance of Him. But secondly, there's something else. Some people come to the Lord's table and take communion with bitterness or hatred or unforgiveness in their heart towards somebody else. I figured that'd get a, a just a rousing applause and a lot of amens. How many knows that we are not, we must not, we cannot afford to ever have any or harbor any unforgiveness in our heart toward anybody? No matter what they've done to you, no matter what they've said about you, they may have wronged you, they may have said, said or done some terrible things to hurt you in the past. And my Lord, you know, that keeps coming up in your mind, but I'm telling you what you have to do. Here's what Paul's saying. Examine yourself and see where you are. Let God search your heart. We must forgive those who have done us wrong 
and we must release them to the Lord Jesus and put them in the hands of God and pray for our enemies and pray for those who despitefully use us and persecute us and love those who hate us. Come on, somebody. He said, if your enemy's hungry, give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Amen. And by forgiving and doing good instead of evil, you heap coals of fire upon his head. One woman went to her pastor. She was having a problem with her husband. She said, my husband's just hard to get along with. I can't deal with him. He's just a scoundrel. I don't know what to do. And the pastor said, have you tried heaping coals of fire on his head? She said, no. I poured some hot coffee in his lap. But she said, that didn't do any good. Praise God. But we have to put those enemies in the hands of God. God said, vengeance is mine. I will be repay. And if we want to be forgiven, we have to forgive. Amen? So you may be sitting here today and say, well, Pastor, I don't meet the criteria, so I better not take communion. And if you're saying that today, it's because you're totally missing the point. God wants you to take of the elements. There is a blessing that is attached to taking communion. And the point Paul is making here is that God wants you and I to meet the requirements. If there is unforgiveness, make that right. If we have messed up this week, this is the opportunity to examine ourselves and to make it right if we have another way we can come unworthily is if we have unconfessed sin in our life and that's why he said there in verse 28 let a man examine himself and let him eat so let him eat of the bread and take of the and drink of the cup notice he didn't say examine yourself and then don't take it He didn't say examine yourself and say, well, I've messed up this week, so I'm not going to take communion because I don't want to take unworthily. That's not what the Scripture says. It says examine yourself. What does that mean? What does it mean to examine yourself? He's saying this, you know, this is what David said in the Psalms when David said, search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me and see if there's any wicked way in me. And that's what we need to do. You know, this is the time as we come to the Lord's table. This is a time of consecration to the Lord. It's a time when we say, Lord, would you shine the spotlight of the Holy Spirit conviction in my heart? And Lord, if there is anything at all in my life that is not right with you, if I've sinned this week, if I've done something that I shouldn't have done and I failed to ask you to forgive me, show me, show me what it is. I will confess it and I will make it right. And regardless of of what's being taught in the hyper grace move today we as Christians are still required to confess our sins and know that he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us Woo! hallelujah anybody that sins any Christian that sins we know we can come to the Lord and ask forgiveness and he will forgive us I don't mean you just get up in the morning and say, okay, now what can I do today? Now I'm going to sin just all day long and then tonight I'll ask the Lord to forgive me. That's a person that's not born again. They're not saved. Saved people don't get up and plan on sinning. (laughs) I hope you all are listening. Praise the Lord. So, 
we are to ask God to search us. In Psalm 32, can you put that up there? Psalm 32, verse, <clears throat> verses 3 through 5. And it was in Psalm 32. I'm, yeah, no, that's 34. 32, verse 3. There we go. Here's what David said. When I kept silence, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. Verse 4. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Can you see David's? David's got sin in his life, and he's miserable. If you're saved and you've sinned and you haven't asked for forgiveness, your life is miserable. Look at verse number 5. He said this then. He said, I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So here's what... Paul is talking about the same thing that David did, is to examine ourselves. See, the Bible says if we cover our sins, we'll not prosper. But if we confess them and forsake them, we will have mercy. And it's right here today at the Lord's table. This is the very place for the person that is struggling with sin. This is the place today for those who are wrestling with temptation. These are, this is the place for those who are ha- ha- struggling with something that, that seems to have control over your life, this is the place that we say, Lord, I need you today. I've messed up. I want you to forgive me. I need victory in my life. And it's it's here that we examine ourselves. If there's unconfessed sin, we ask forgiveness and we let the blood. We apply the blood of the sacrifice, the blood of Christ to our life, and we get forgiven, and we receive the elements that He has given us to receive. And it's through that that we gain victory in our life. No power in those elements, but what they represent is where the power source is. Amen? So as we approach the Lord's table today, we examine ourselves. And if there's sin there, if we've messed up, then we deal with it now if you haven't already. But it's a time of examination. This, this is proper table manners. It's coming to the Lord's table with reverence and recognizing and realizing the significance of the blood of Jesus looking back and remembering what Christ did for us, not just doing this as a ritual, and then looking inside and examining ourselves and asking the Holy Spirit to search us and confessing any sin that needs to be forgiven. Then, he said, then, after we've examined ourselves, then let him or her eat and partake of the bread and the juice. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to ask our ushers to come today. And they're going to distribute the communion elements. We need to realize we are made worthy today by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's good table manners. Amen? That's good table manners. 
So if you're here today and you have, maybe you're here today and you've never yet accepted Jesus as your Savior. Well, if you haven't, why don't you just do that this morning? Say, Jesus, come into my heart and life and forgive me of my sins and make this your first communion as a child of God. Amen? How many knows that if you confess your sin, He will forgive you? He will forgive you. Amen. So go ahead and distribute the elements. This, yeah, this, if you get the platform for me. Thank you, Jesus. When you're served, let's just wait until everyone has been served. And we're going to pray and read some scripture. And we'll all partake together today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Has everyone been served? Amen. Let's stand. Would you do that? Hallelujah. I want us to pray and then I'm going to read some scripture. The scriptures that we that we read. Father, as we come before the table of the Lord today, we want to do so in a proper manner. We want to do so in a proper way. I pray that I've by the help of the Lord have been able to adequate adequately deliver the word that you've placed upon my heart and that we understand what the Lord's Supper is all about. Lord, as we approach your table today, we, we don't want to just take it as a ritual. We want to really fully know and understand today what the Lord's Supper means to us and that it's what Jesus did for us at Calvary. Examine us today, Lord. Search our hearts, Holy Spirit. If there's something there, show us, and we'll repent. We'll get it out. We'll ask for forgiveness, and I know that you'll forgive immediately. But we place our faith today, not in a wafer, not in juice, but we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your shed blood for us. Thank you for dying for us, saving us, Lord. We give you 
the glory and the praise for that. 